It is a time for children this morning. I want to invite all our kids to come forward for our time together today. Good morning. Hi, Dylan. Good morning, Ryan. I know. You have to be a little gentle with them. Dylan's starting to wilt. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Wesley. Good morning, Michael. Hello. Hey, Bentley. Hi, Casey. Oh, not yet. <laughs> you know it. Oh, not yet. Not yet. We'll get there at the end. We'll get there at the end. You ready? All right. Oh, because you know what these are. Tell everybody who's way sitting in the back tell them what I have here. What do you call these? Dandelions. You know, it was hard to find dandelions this morning. Everybody mowed their yard yesterday. But the gas station at Beltline in North Garland did not. So there we go. I brought dandelions with me today because, did you hear Miss Heather read the scripture this morning? Just now, before we got here, she read a Bible story about Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And he used two different things in that story. One of them, he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And then he said, the kingdom of God is like leaven or yeast. And I know those of you who have been coming to Sunday school and doing the parables, we've taught, talked a lot about mustard seeds. Do you remember that parable? How big did it get, that mustard seed? Huge. And, and what came to that big old bush tree once it grew great big? Yes, yes, birds came to it. Now, I think we've only done the one in Sunday school just once about the leaven. And the woman mixed it with three measures of flour, which is a lot. And what happened to that little, to that, that amount of flour? It made so much. It made so much. I was thinking about mustard seeds, and the mustard seeds that they have in the Bible aren't like the mustard seeds that we have in our spice cabinet that you you cook with at home. And, you know, those farmers back then, they liked mustard seeds about as much as your mom and dad probably liked dandelions. Because I'm telling you, when you're five, dandelions are awesome. Stop it. We go through the park, and we pick dandelions. And look, Kyla was at first service. You know what she calls dandelions? Wishing flowers. I loved that. Because we go, and we make wishes. And what do you do with them, which we're going to do at the end, I promise. Not yet. What, What happens to them when you do that? They go everywhere, and we plant hundreds of new dandelions. But something happens between the age of 5 and 55, and I'm telling you, when your grandparents see dandelions, they get grumpy. They don't want them in their yard. They mow them down, and they spray them, and they pull them out. But they're, I think because they don't match the rest of the grass. We want it all to match. I don't know why we want it all to match, but somehow we do. But that's kind of how farmers felt about mustard seeds. They just wanted to get them out because they, they, their crops wouldn't grow and they took up room and they didn't want those pesky birds on their land eating their seeds. But when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, think how much joy is in these wishing flowers. How much joy is in these dandelions? They're so surprising. They go everywhere. 
you find the kingdom of God where you don't expect it. Sometimes even at the gas station. Oh my goodness. And when you share the kingdom of God, where do you think they go? Everywhere. Everywhere. In you, in me, in Garland. The kingdom of God. You ready to make the kingdom of God go? Wait, wait. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> oh, one more, one more. Get it, get it. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes you got to breathe in a little Holy Spirit, huh? I think so. And you know, here, come back and sit for just a minute. Sometimes making the kingdom of God grow is easy. Sometimes you just blow, and there it goes. And sometimes, man, you almost have to spit on it and yank it and pull it and say, Come on, kingdom of God. Sometimes you've got to really work for it. You do. You know what I hope? There is more in there. There's always more kingdom of God in there. Yeah, they're in the water now. Eh, stop it. I don't want us to spill the water and make Dr. Brian slip when he gets up here to preach. But I do pray that you always have that much joy. That you always have that much joy for God, for the kingdom. Let's give thanks this morning. You would get a hand? Up, up, Wesley. There we go. Everybody got a hand? Everybody got a hand? Got a hand, Michael? Wesley, up. Deep breath. Deep breath. As we say, dear God, dear God, we thank you for your joy, for your presence. For your love, for your spirit, for the kingdom of God in us and around us. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. We are beginning a new worship series today called Kingdom Issues, and Reverend Dr. Brian is ushering us into this series, and we are going to hear a scripture that is our guiding scripture for this series, and we will hear it today, and we will hear it in weeks to come. We are in Micah, the sixth chapter, and we will hear verses six through eight. Listen for the word of God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here today. It's great to see colleague faces from Michael and Ann and Dave and so many of you. And then there's Team Garland here on the front bench. Thank you for the invitation and all the graciousness and and the ways we've been made to feel welcome. I mean, when you have Sonny Bryan's son in the pulpit and the scripture is about calves and burnt offerings, what what do we call that in Texas? The whole book's about barbecue. (laughs) Great to be with you. Thank you for the challenge of starting the thinking on kingdom of God in this new month. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Been trying to remember about Albert Schweitzer. I'm going to ask a few questions of Albert Schweitzer's stuff, and I'd appreciate the answers coming from folks that are 30-ish or younger. Who was Albert Schweitzer? I'm looking for real sound now. (laughs) Who was Albert Schweitzer, young folk? Who was Albert Schweitzer? Oh, yeah, Google it. Exactly. <laughs> but, well, before, while the young people are Googling, what, what does this say to the heart of those of you that are older, like I am, that a younger generation doesn't know who Albert Schweitzer was? We've got some work to do, right? Tell those good stories. Okay, now we get past 30-somethings. Anybody? Who was Albert Schweitzer? What did he do? Played the organ, exactly. We're going to get there. That's point two. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) He's always ahead. Yes, ma'am. What did he do? He was a physician. He was from what country? Germany, exactly, exactly. Fleet would be so proud of you. And he was a missionary doctor in Africa, the Congo, exactly. Built a clinic in the Congo in the early 20th century. Gave his life there. Win any prizes? Anything special happened from his work? Nobel Peace Prize. This man didn't even Google it, and he had that right there. (laughs) Nobel Peace Prize. He lived the kind of life. Albert Schweitzer wrote two autobiographies. He wrote an autobiography, then he went out and lived so much more, he had to write another one. That's a good kind of living to do at any age. Is the only thing he wrote about his self, autobiography? What else did he write about? Okay, Dave, here you go. What else? That's point three. We'll be there in just a minute, too. Man, you got a sharp church here. 
he wrote about organ. He was a fabulous organist. And he wrote two books on the organ performance of the works of what composer? Your first, Bach, your first guess is right. And if you think he was a sweetheart, Nobel Peace Prize, Heal the Children of Africa, all the way through and through, read a little of his writing on how to perform Bach, because he will tell you what you can do with your organ if you disagree with him about the performance of Bach's organ works. And he also had another whole career. He used the organ concerts in Germany to raise money for the hospital in Africa. Exactly. Yes, Gail. But he wrote books on another topic, too. Okay, I'm ready for that great answer you gave me a moment ago. What were they on? Quest for the Historical Jesus. In 1905, he published a theology work. He had used his study time to study the Gospels and the writings of Paul to ask, what is the real story of Jesus? Going after sort of just the core biography of Jesus and then asking the question, what was the point? What did Jesus think his job description was? What was he trying to accomplish? This book was published in 1905 and translated into English in 1911. It was his second theology book, and the the star of the Aggie Brain Trust here knew the title of the first one, too. What what was the first book? Wasn't you. It was The Mystery of the Kingdom, 1901. Because Albert Schweitzer... When he summed up the whole life of Jesus after studying it long enough to write two books on it, Albert Schweitzer said the point of Jesus, the job description of Jesus, was not the cross. And he said the job description of Jesus was not to be the rabbi that taught us the parables and had, gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Albert Schweitzer believed that the whole point of Jesus coming and being with us and even dying was to proclaim that the kingdom of God is now. That was the point of Jesus. That was Jesus' job description, according to Albert Schweitzer. That the kingdom of God isn't someday when God gets around to it or when we finally behave. No, the kingdom of God is now, forever now. That was Albert Schweitzer's lesson about the kingdom of God. Thank you all. You've worked very hard today, harder than most of the Christian congregations in the world. Thanks. So Schweitzer thought that the kingdom of God is now. Well, what's that kingdom like? It's like a seed that's already planted and is growing even if you can't see it above the ground yet. It's like the leaven, the yeast, that a person puts in dough, and then you beat up the dough, and it rises. And the good stuff happens mysteriously. You can't make it rise. You can't make a seed grow. God does that. But in partnership, these things that have already started and are already happening after Jesus' ministry is the kingdom of God growing now. What are some of the characteristics of that kingdom of God? Well, we know what those characteristics are. That's all the stuff in Luke 4 when Jesus says the blind are going to see, the captives are going to be free, 
the poor are going to hear the good news. That's kingdom of God stuff. Or the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, when blessed are those that mourn, blessed are the poor. That's kingdom of God stuff. Or in Matthew 25, when Jesus tells the disciples, when the thirsty receive water, y'all take such good care of me. When the hungry are fed, when those that are naked are clothed, that's kingdom of God stuff. We know what kingdom of God actions look like. But that's only part of what the kingdom of God is. When those that are struggling are set free. When we get the behavior that we think about on Sunday morning when we're here together in the presence of Scripture and wonderful music, thank you. When we get that right during the week and care for one who God cares for. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Kingdom of God isn't just having Jesus as Lord as your motto and knowing your place at the heavenly banquet in heaven is all reserved. And by the way, at the heavenly banquet, they do have the right number of carrots in the stew. There's another whole layer to what kingdom of God means. And that's that the institutions and systems of the world also follow Jesus' justice and love. The gospel is both justice and love together. To say, Jesus loves you while my children are starving is not very good news. To be in a world where children don't starve, then we can talk about love. But justice is part of it also. Many of us work together on anti-racism in the last couple of decades in North Texas Conference. And we've learned that the definition of racism has two parts. The first is racially prejudiced hearts, racial prejudice, individuals. And the second is the power, destructive power, of institutions and systems. And racism is both personal prejudice and the power of our institutions put together Now, I had to learn that the hard way because somewhere along the line, I decided in my pastor's heart that if we could just straighten out one bigoted heart and another bigoted heart and my bigoted heart and more bigoted, someday we get to the last one and racism be over. I thought that. Not true. And from listening to the people of color in our team, I learned that they had a way of saying the same thing. Theirs was blackface in high place. If we get a blackface in a high place and a blackface in a high place and a blackface in a high place and a blackface in the White House and a black... Someday we'd get enough blackfaces and racism would be over. Even if that happened to hearts and faces, we're still stuck with institutions that grind up those who struggle. We're still faced with systems that are unfair. Lord, help us. My business card, the first word on it is Southern Methodist University. What's that about? Even the institutions we love were set up to make it hard for those that struggle. So the kingdom of God is when we're both the individual behavior and we reform the institutions. 
and the systems that grind up the strugglers. Which means we got some work to do in our friendships, in our family, in Garland, in Texas, in the United States, in the whole world. But the good news from Albert Schweitzer and Jesus is that this kingdom of God that has started is the only true future. That's what the last tomorrow is like, is the kingdom of God coming. There's no other future that's going to last. I've gotten to think a lot lately about dying, and I'm at peace with being dead. But what really frightens me is to stand before God, having spent my whole life perfecting my football game. I'm from Rice, so I don't care about football, but it's an example preachers use. (laughs) At Rice, they teach you, when other people talk football, push it towards starting salaries. Spending my life perfecting my football game and God to say to me, that was nice, Bill. Baseball's what matters to me. That's scary. That any work, any achievement, any joy I'd found in life was in the wrong game. The kingdom of God is the only game in the world to come. The only game. But the world makes that hard to remember. Seems like the marketplace is the only game. Or security is the only game. But in fact, if we listen to Schweitzer, if we listen to Jesus, the kingdom of God is the only game that matters at the end. Because the kingdom of God is going to be what happens on the last tomorrow. We know a lot about how to be a part of this kingdom of God already. That wonderful Micah scripture about do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That could be the Pledge of Allegiance of the kingdom of God. John Wesley wrote a version of that, again, three parts, in 1739 for Methodists. It's called the General Rules. These are the three rules for how Methodists should behave. Number one, do no harm. That's not just physicians, that's all of us. Congratulations to the newest physician in the room, too, who just graduated from Texas Tech. We're proud as a whole church. Do no harm, that's all of us, not just the youngest doctor. The second is, do all the good you can. And the third is, take advantage of the ordinances of God. That's old talk, and better authors in the 20th century have said, no, That stay connected to God is what that means. Do no harm, do all the good you can, and stay connected to God. That'll keep you working in the kingdom of God. Now, if you go back and look online at what the general rules for Methodists are, you find more details. Wesley couldn't stop with just that little bit. So he said, do no harm, especially in the ways that are most popular in your society. And then he lists them. And a lot of them are things that go on forever, like gossip and violence. There's also some really charming ones, such as selling items on which duty has not been paid. Seems there was a problem with bootleggers becoming Methodist. (laughs) What would be the list in our 21st century for Wesley if we wanted to do no harm, especially in the ways that are most popular in our society, to do harm? 
And then that third one, take advantage of the ordinances of God, stay connected to God. Just in case the Methodists were going to mess it up later, he gave us the list. These are the ways to stay connected to God. The public worship of God. Hey, you're doing that in June, in summertime, in vacation time? You get extra points. Thanks for being in worship. Stay connected to God by the ministry of the Word, either read or expounded. The Supper of the Lord. Family and private prayer. Searching the Scriptures. And finally, fasting or abstinence. You know the daily shape of what it means to work in the kingdom of God that's already started. You can learn it from Micah. You can learn it from Wesley. You can learn it deep in your soul, what it means to be faithful in the kingdom of God. I met a particularly faithful kingdom of God person a long time ago in East Dallas. Her name was Louise Jandrew. And Michael and all grins back there. You always got to remember Louise. Louise Jandrew believed everybody was going to heaven and said it that way. Now, I I wanted to debate with her a little, but when you're 87 years old and have done what Louise Jandrew did, young preachers are smart not to debate. Just listen to Louise. You see, Louise, in 1929, her husband committed suicide in the stock market crash. And he left Louise in 1929 with five children and $11. How bitter could you be? And this lady wasn't bitter. She had hope for all of us. And Louise went to work long before women went to work. She went to work in downtown Dallas selling children's shoes at the Voke Brothers store. Anybody been here long enough to remember Vokes downtown? Yes. And she raised those five kids by herself. The oldest one became a Marine general who worked to win the Cold War. The next one became the head of radiology at Methodist Hospital, using science to heal us. Then one became senior vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank, where he made money for rich people. The one girl in the family was professor of English at Cal State Fullerton, where she helped a new generation make paragraphs and poems. But the spirit of Louise landed mostly in the youngest of the five that she raised by herself in the Great Depression. Um, He was a sportscaster in Dallas. In fact, while he was a sportscaster in Dallas, he made a television ad for Falstaff Beer, and our dear Methodist church ran him out of the church over that. Well, this boy became an actor... His name was Jerry Haynes, but nobody knew his real name because we all called him Mr. Peppermint. Louise's little baby became Mr. Peppermint, who spent his life making children a part of Dallas and Dallas a part of children. That's kingdom work. Louise and Jerry worked in the kingdom in their own way. Folks... Albert Schweitzer was working in the kingdom of God. Louise and Jerry were working in the kingdom of God. This now is our time to work in the kingdom of God for justice and love, for the care of the struggling, 
and the reform of their institutions and systems, the time to work in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is now. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you.